Welcome to the Crying in My Cheesecake podcast. I am Danielle, your host, and this is episode seven of the silent ultrasound support and expectations. Please be sure to have listened to episodes one through six before you listen to this episode. Again, I'm sorry if they're out of order, but if you are listening on the um, later on, it will be fixed for you. So this episode is support and expectations. Were you even trying? Was this pregnancy planned? You don't want three kids anyway. You already have a healthy boy and girl. What are you going to do with all those people? People that say these things really don't know us, do they? Except the funny thing is, those are all things that people said to us that were supposed to be people that knew us. God wouldn't let something like this happen unless something was wrong with that baby. You have to believe. I vowed to be fully honest and transparent in this personal account of miscarriages. So I'm not going to bring sunshine and roses yet. Because you need to hear the truth. You need to know that you will be let down. Let me repeat, you will be let down when seeking support and other people for miscarriage. No one can provide you your needs exactly as you want them. And maybe that's not just with miscarriage. I'm sure if you've experienced miscarriage or in other like traumatic situations where you've had similar experiences, that these quotes, these things that people say, and they're trying to mean well, But all it does is just cause even more heartache. You know, all those things that were mentioned, those came from people that should know us the most, but they don't. And all of those quotes I shared above, you know, in the beginning of this episode were exactly things that my husband and I heard from people in our lives. It's been almost seven years now, and I can still tell you who said what. So why do these people say these things, these unhelpful and sometimes hurtful things? It took some time for me to keep my mouth shut and to pray through it. And God showed up and he showed me that these, that these people that said these things to us are rationalizing the miscarriage, not to us, but for themselves. It, this rationalization, these comments make people feel okay with what's happening. And honestly, does anyone really know what to say? The number that know about this, this last miscarriage um, and my miscarriage was far outnumbered those that knew I was even pregnant, the fir- like with that baby. The first time around, more knew about the pregnancy than knew about the miscarriage. And I, I still think to this day, that there are so many people that don't even know I had a miscarriage before both of my boys. Things were different this time, though, and I prayed over and over and over again for God to use me in my situations for his glory and his kingdom. This time around was the time to put that prayer in action, and I'm convinced I'm convinced God had me be transparent with this miscarriage because he wanted me to learn something, too. I'm sorry. There's no heartbeat. No mama wants to hear those words. It's painful. It's gut-wrenching. Because there's nothing we can do to change it. It was already decided before we knew we wanted this child. Miscarriage is a unique type of loss because sometimes we have no bodies to lay to rest. 
or to prove that they were even someone that existed. We need support and oftentimes women reach out in inappropriate ways that aren't healthy in the healing process. Stay with me for a minute and trust that I've done the wrong things so many times that I finally got the chance to do it in a way that was healthy. When people hear the news of this kind of a nature, there's usually three ways people react. The first one is that they tell everyone. If this person has social media, they typically reach out that way as one of the first methods of broadcasting the news. The obvious reasons they reach out on social media is for support. Remember, looking for support is not wrong. But when we wait for the likes or the comments to pour in, devouring them and making them feel relevant and supported, this method is all about getting attention because the person does not know of another way to cope. They need that instant gratification of comfort in the likes and the comments. It lasts for the mere moment that the comment or like is noticed. It doesn't sustain the heart and the situation, though. And this may begin a downward spiral of unhealthy healing. But this isn't the only way unhealthy healing or an unhealthy way of searching for support. My favorite way is is number two is clam up. It's my favorite way to cope. My gut reaction is to close everyone off around me so that I can deal with situations myself. I want no one to know. I let no one in on the suffering taking place in my body. This method causes me to appear strong on the outside all the while I'm crumbling to the pieces inside of me. The problem with the first two ways, the broadcasting on social media and the clamming up, is that we have set expectations upon others and ourselves that will never be fulfilled. By posting to social media and broadcasting our problems, we don't necessarily see the implications that are taking place. When we post or tell everyone around, we are really looking to see who actually cares. You cannot tell me you don't look at who likes and comments and then assess value as to the specific names that are attached to those interactions. Oh, so-and-so said she was praying for me. She must really care. I'm getting attention from blank, even though she has five healthy children and doesn't understand. We expect these comments, etc., to fulfill our grieving process. We want people to know our pain and to feel sympathy for us. And it's putting the focus on ourselves. Like I said, it's an instant gratification that does not allow for sustained healing to take place. If we clam up and keep it to ourselves, it begins to fester and ultimately we will puke like we will puke. The anger will fester like an open sore with pus rolling down our legs, except maybe it isn't pus that comes out. It's verbally lashing out at someone because we breathe wrong. It's indulging in a bag of chips or warming up chocolate chip cookies with milk while sitting on the couch watching Netflix. It becomes a separation thing. You versus me, where where we are sulking in our comparisons. She is so beautiful. Her husband is a great provider. Christianity looks so much better on that woman. Let me be clear. I'm not saying you cannot post about your miscarriage ever. I'm saying in the beginning, when the emotions are raw, when you are going through the grieving process, it's probably not healthy to broadcast what you're going through. Notice that these two interactions, the broadcasting and the clamming up, that stuffing up, these two interactions, the focus, pay attention to where that focus is though. Do we see a a common denominator? It's the big old M-E, me. The focus on both of these types of interactions is me. How can I feel better instantly? How can I look like I'm tough and avoid judgment from others that may see me as weak? 
I say all that to say our healing does not take place until we have done number three. We are not in a place to reach out via social media or to appear strong until we've done number three, which is take it to God. The goal is to be the person, despite terrible circumstances, who God deems able to move for him right here and right now. This sounds so laissez-faire. It sounds so just like whatever. It sounds so contrite and even stereotypical. However, if we know what this really means and what it looks like to do this, then we can enter into a healthy healing process that leads to hope. You hear the words, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. You process it. Don't know what to do with it. You may be a Christian woman who is fresh in the spirit. You may be a seasoned woman of faith. It doesn't matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus because emotions don't discriminate. After the news that our baby had died, our last baby had died, what did we do next? Where are we supposed to go mentally and emotionally? How is this done? These are all great questions indeed. And I'm pretty sure we can find examples of expectations of support and how to deal with these things in the book of Nehemiah. In order to understand where we're going, though, we need to know the history or some background information to make the story complete for us. Let's take a moment to learn about a very common man, common like you or I. He was so common that his job job title was a cupbearer. And a cupbearer was the one who trusted or who was trusted to bring drinks to the table of royalty and serve those at that table. A table at home is a place where we tend to let down our guard, right? We relax, enjoy the food and company in front of us. It is the same for royalty. The cupbearer must be a trusted individual to stay in that room. A cupbearer usually was one trusted to to ensure that no one would try poisoning the king. This was the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was so trusted that he had a position of influence. Influence for the good. Let's take a look at chapter one of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah. I obviously struggle with pronunciation of names. I'm sorry. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when while I was in the citadel of Susa Hanai, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive to your eyes open to hear and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you today praying before you day and night for your servants the people of Israel i confess the sins we israelites including myself and my father's family have committed against you we have acted very wickedly toward you we have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you have given your servant moses Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses. Remember saying this, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even in your exiled people are are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen to dwell or chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed 
by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to this prayer of of this servant and to the prayer of the servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah learns of the walls in Jerusalem remaining in shambles even after the Jews had been back from exile for a decent period of time. In these days, walls were very important. They provided a definitive line of territory, keeping people in or out. Walls are a sign of security and safety. Without walls, the city would be at great risk of attack and pillage. They're defenseless. Maybe you're feeling defenseless against the enemy. Insecure. I'm sure of it. Why? Because I've been there and those felt those very things too. After hearing about this distraught state of his fellow people, he sat down and wept. Nehemiah sat down and wept. Then he mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Remember our original question? What does it look like to take something bigger than us to God? Just like our miscarriage is bigger than us, so is the situation with these Jewish people. We are given the example of how to take things bigger than us to God right here in verse 4. Would you reread it with me? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Notice with me a few things. First, we need to take a moment and just sit down and cry. We need to feel our feelings for every single bit that they are worth. Miscarriage is a pain so deep that you're going to have to sit and just like, just sit and let the emotions go with every tear you shed. Next, you're going to mourn. The definition of mourn, the definitions of mourn include feel or show deep sorrow or regret for someone of their death. Feel regret or sadness about the loss of, or disappearance of something. I want you to know that it is okay to be sad or feel, reg- feel regret about the disappearance of your child. It is okay. In fact, you need to be able to feel this way. Otherwise, you won't be able to find complete healing either. So let's get this straight. We cry until our souls are void of any other emotion. We're not raw. We are now raw. In that rawness, we can now mourn. Feel the void of that child. Recognize the loss. The last two things Nehemiah says he does are fasted and prayed. I'm not sure how many of you or any of you have heard of the holy habit um, of fasting. Fasting and praying go together one and the same. We must go without something, which is usually food, so that we can increase our prayer life in an intentional way. I know you've already probably gone there in your mind. So let me answer it. Yes, I did fast after my miscarriage. During that time, I prayed and prayed with intention that was bigger than me because miscarriage is bigger than me. This that you hold in your hands, your phone, your device, your laptop, however you're listening to this, this, the silent ultrasound is bigger than me. And I will say the reason why the silent ultrasound is in your hands today is from fasting and praying. So with that said, we need to fast something in order to have a more meaningful, meaningful conversation with God. When we take it to God, we're not doing it lightheartedly. We are full of baggage and we need to release it to him. Look at the prayer Nehemiah prays. 
He is in a very humble and clear mental state. He recalls who his God is, great and awesome, keeper of his covenant of love. He calls himself a servant. He confesses the sins he possesses in the moment. He clings to God's promise, promises of the past. By pouring out his heart to God, he finds comfort in the strength of who he, his God is. Notice the Nehemiah didn't tell a single soul about the pain until he went through the process of weeping, mourning, fasting, and praying. At this point, you're probably saying, okay, that's great and all, but how does this relate to support and expectations? We need to have the proper expectations when we are looking for support, even from God. Sometimes people think that just because God is silent, he doesn't care. My friend, if this is your heart right now, please, please, please don't give up your hope in God. Your God is a God of love and he created you out of love. Even though we may know all of this, it is still easy to feel or have the wrong expectations of God. Do you want God to heal you immediately and take away the pain right now? I bet you do, because I did. I had to fight the urge to just suppress my feelings. But what I remembered, thanks to the Holy Spirit, is that God has a lesson for me inside this miscarriage. Many lessons, it turns out. Let's look at Matthew 16, 26 quickly. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus defines for us what it looks like to be a Christian. It's stinking painful. We're gonna suffer. We just lost our baby. Having the baby would be like gaining the whole world, or so it would seem. Rocking that baby, the oohs and ahs, the cute outfits, it's a, it is very rewarding. But if we take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus, we will ultimately find our healing. Our souls are not here to be satisfied by earthly means. We are to find fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus. Remember, it's not about me. It's not about you. We may even limit God by our expectations. We may, we may even limit him by our expectations of him without even knowing it. We know in Luke 2, 7 that Jesus the Messiah was not born in luxury. Mary, very pregnant, feeling every pain of her contracting uterus, was, was turned away from the luxury of delivering her, delivering her baby in an inn, where I'm sure she'd at least had a decent bed to lay upon relaxing her body as much as she possibly could between contractions. I'm sure the time got too close to search anywhere else when the only covering from the outside elements she and Joseph could find was a stable, cave-like and very unwelcoming, at least to a laboring woman. Except God is a God who fulfills his word. Jesus, our Messiah, did not need a five-star hotel in which to be born. He simply needed a place to be laid. A cow's watering trough was sufficient. I ask you, do you limit your expectations of God because of how crazy, hormonal, lost you may feel? I do think that we would limit God less if we would pour out our hearts to him in the process and in the way that Nehemiah models for us. Your God is capable. Nothing you say is going to surprise him or scare him or take him off guard. In fact, he can do immeasurably more than we could ever, ever even ask or even think. Do you know that? Do you believe it? Do you accept that as true? Feel sure of the truth that your God can do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine or ask. Nehemiah, just like he who 
he who had a burden on his shoulders much larger than he could ever handle alone, so do we. We use this opportunity to find healing in the healthy in a healthy fashion, the way God intended us to. Seek him first. Your God is bigger than what you're going through right now. I'm going to list here at the end. I'm going to list out just some names of who God is. And I want you to take some time. And whether you screenshot this episode or you journal about this episode, I want you to take a moment to respond. Maybe screenshot this episode and make sure you tag me so I can share this, but screenshot this episode and when something, a word comes up that describes of who that God is, who your God is, reflect upon that. Share with us about that. All right, I'm going to start naming the names. God is creator. God is author. God is capable. God is holy. God is revealer. God is knowing. God is merciful. God is perfecter. God is comforter. God is Holy Spirit. God is omnipresent. God is eternal. God is powerful. God is beginning. God is Jesus. God is honest. God is redeemer. God is love. God is grace. God is truth. God is son. God is the end. God is Messiah. God is forgiving. God is father. God is almighty. God is forgiving. God is provider. And God is salvation. this show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash CIMC. Thanks so much.